are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share his love. The birth of John the Baptist. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he used to be called John. They said to her, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened, and his tongue was loosed, and he began to speak, praising God. The neighbors were all filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the desert until he appeared publicly to Israel. What did we do before Google? What did we do? We probably called a neighbor, talked to a friend, checked with mom or dad. Now my kids, they just asked me, Dad, can you ask Siri such and such? I don't even know if the youngest ones don't think that Siri is actually a real person. But that question that they asked in the video, what is Christmas really about? It's a good one. I was reading a piece on Joseph this week. Joseph, who is just mentioned in that reading from Matthew. It was a piece by a pastor in Burundi, which is a small country in Africa. And citing Isaiah 66, he said, Indeed, God is close to those who, like Joseph, are humble and contrite and who tremble at his word. And then listen to this. Simplicity as a spiritual discipline helps us avoid the enticement of materialism and enables us to focus on things that really matter. And so in that sense, I'm going to wish you a simple week in the run-up to Christmas, very much in line with what DJ shared in our opening prayer together. Instead of Merry Christmas today, I'm going to wish you a simple Christmas, the gift of simplicity. Simplicity is a defiant kind of discipline, I think, this time of year. It's unswayed by distraction. It walks past the shiny objects and the noise, and it hurries to Jesus. And that is what Christmas is really about.
Today's the final Sunday in Advent. We've been preparing for Christmas here ever since the tail end of November. We started Advent with Zechariah in the temple. And now here we are, still in Luke chapter 1, with the birth of the son that he'd been promised. Today, we're going to look at two things, the birth of John the Baptist and Zechariah's song. And within those two things, I'm asking you, for you, what is Christmas really about? Remember back in the early verses of the chapter when we started, first Sunday of Advent, that Zechariah the priest was serving in the temple in Jerusalem. And he'd been selected by Lot, by the casting of Lot's, to go into the inner part of the temple and to burn incense uh, as an act of worship. And while he was there, this is kind of a solo mission, a very a special role he had to play, the angel Gabriel appeared to him and told him that he and his wife Elizabeth would have a son who would prepare the people for the Lord and that they should name him John. Zechariah takes all of this in, if you remember the story, but he can hardly believe it because he and Elizabeth are old and well past childbearing years. And he says to the angel, how can I be sure of this? To which the angel says, uh, I'm an angel. I don't know how often you've had an angel appear to you. And if you need one more sign, because you have doubted this news, you will be unable to speak until these things have come to pass. That was the backstory to what brings us now to verse 57. It's nine months later. And it's happening exactly as the angel had said. Elizabeth gives birth to a son. She who had been childless for so long is finally holding a baby in her arms. And I've been thinking of her and Zechariah quite a bit this Advent. A few weeks ago, Esther and I added a baby to our family via adoption. And that happened unexpectedly. And it's been a while since we had a baby in our house. When I first became a dad, I was 27. Now I'm 40. And I can tell you there's something different about holding a baby at 40 than at 27. And I can't really describe it to you very well. Both are great, right? Both ages and stages. But now life with a baby in our home seems more peaceful, more settled. I just cherish the time Esther and I probably cast lots to see who gets to spend time with the baby to rock him and and snuggle him. And maybe it's because now I know how quickly those days are gone. In any case, I've been thinking about Elizabeth and Zachariah, who would have been well past 40. They would have had me beat for sure. We don't know their ages, but their pregnancy is perceived as miraculous. That's why all of their neighbors and relatives are saying, what great mercy the Lord has shown them. This is a huge gift. You can imagine for how many years those friends and neighbors had been praying that Elizabeth would be able to have a baby. And now they're overjoyed at the birth of this little boy. The story that we read then moves next to the Jewish custom of circumcision, which is the sign of the Abrahamic covenant. This was completed on the eighth day and was also the occasion upon which they would officially name the baby. So there they were at this sacred ceremony, and everyone is assuming that they are going to name this long-awaited son, Zechariah, Zechariah Jr. In fact, it, it says that they are about to christen him with that name when his mother jumps in and she says, no, he's to be called John. 
That's what the angel had said. Well, all the neighbors and relatives look at her and they say, John? There's not a John in your family. Why would you pick the name John? I remember when we were telling my grandparents uh, the names of our newborn twin daughters 12 years ago. And so I was telling them, Liana is Hebrew, and it means my God has answered. And Amaya is Japanese, and it means night rain. And I'll never forget my grandma looking at me with a rather confused look and saying, Japanese? But we're Norwegian. (laughs) So everyone is confused by this. And they're so confused by it, they actually dismiss Elizabeth, don't they? They dismiss her, and they're going to go settle this and try to communicate with Zechariah. Look at verse 62. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. This verse is also revealing because it seems to suggest that Zechariah had not just lost the ability to speak, but also what? The ability to hear. They've got to make signs to him to clear up this naming thing that has gone awry. Do you see that? So Gabriel had not just left him speechless, but also deaf. And I want to press pause on that detail for a second and think about what it must have been like for Zechariah to be deaf and mute for nine months. Have you ever lost your voice for a day or two? You remember what it's like to lose your voice and what an inconvenience it is? Trying to navigate family life or work? Teachers, you know what it's like? How it slows you down? How annoying it is? And here Zechariah couldn't speak for nine months. And he couldn't hear. That is going to slow you down. And yet notice with me in this story that what begins as a consequence for unbelief becomes a building ground for faith. You see that in the story? Back in the temple, Zechariah missed the mark. He doubted God. And so this happens to him as a rebuke, as correction. And now nine months later, something has been stirring in him and he is ready to respond in praise. And I'm right there with you. that Some of us know full well we've made mistakes in our past that have brought along certain consequences, natural consequences or otherwise. Maybe you in your life can think back, or maybe you're there right now, and you have felt the corrective discipline of God before. Somewhere in your life where you missed the mark and paid a heavy price. And yet I want to tell you through Zechariah's story that that is not the end goal. But if we will let him, God will turn your very failings into his greater praise. He can redeem your mistakes for good. Do you know that this morning? And he can bring you closer to him in faith than you've ever been before. That is what happens to Zechariah. In the story then, this is the moment of truth. The neighbors and relatives come and say, Zechariah, shouldn't we give the baby your name? Perpetuate your legacy? Kind of tempting, isn't it? They say, Zachariah, what is this nonsense that Elizabeth keeps saying we're going to name him John? That's random. 
And what does Zechariah do? Verse 63. He asked for a writing tablet and to everyone's astonishment. They weren't expecting this. He wrote, his name is John. Why John? Why did God assign that name to this baby? I think because John was the perfect name for a baby born to an old, childless couple who was beyond hope of ever having a baby. John means Yahweh is gracious. The Lord is gracious. We have been graced by God. This child is pure gift. Should have never happened. It is a sheer act of God. That's why he's named John. And beyond their own story, I want you to keep in mind that John's birth comes after 400 years of silence between the Old and New Testament. Since Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, God had not sent a prophet, not inspired any scripture, not spoken a word to his people. And so they were maybe wondering if God was still there. If all these stories they'd heard were true, if God was going to remember his covenant promises. And into 400 years of silence, the name John was announced by an angel. The Lord is gracious. He has not forgotten. We are recipients of God's grace. And some of you, perhaps, are in a season where God does seem silent. You feel spiritually distant. I've no doubt in this room, this many people, there are those who say, yep, that's where I'm at. The voice of God in my life has seemed to grown cold. Maybe for some of you, you're wondering if this is even real. Is God there? Does he see your situation? Why does it feel like you're all alone? And this morning, this Advent, I pray that into your silence, that you would hear the promise of John to you. The Lord is gracious. He is on the move in your life. And he is bringing his grace swiftly to you. Nine months after the angel spoke this word to Zechariah, and after nine months of silence, Zechariah was able to proclaim these words himself. He wrote it on the tablet, and then look at verse 64. Immediately, his mouth was open, and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. Can you picture this scene? I picture an old man jumping around the room like a teenager. He's whooping it up. I think he maybe took that writing tablet and he threw it across the room like a frisbee. Watched it clatter against the wall. Maybe did a little touchdown dance. I don't think it's coincidental that his last words before this moment had been words of doubt and skepticism. And now nine months later, after nine months of silence, the first words that he says are full of praise. And as he does, as he speaks, now it's the neighbor's turn to be speechless. It says they're in awe of what's happening and they're asking themselves, who is this baby John going to be? And that's what brings us to this famous song of Zechariah. I don't know what event in your life 
would cause you to write an original song. I once serenaded a girl in college that I wrote a song for. And it was just shortly thereafter that she transferred to Berkeley and I never heard from her again. (laughs) Maybe there's a connection. I maybe overdid it. My story turned out way better, by the way. But the birth of John the Baptist and the unloosing of his voice is what does this for Zechariah. In fact, my guess is that, is that actually across those nine silent months, he was actually writing this song in his head. I don't know, that's just a guess. Maybe he was inspired and composed it on the spot. But whatever the case, the song in the Bible has a unique name. It is the song called the Benedictus, Zechariah's song. We don't have the time this morning to study it in detail, but similar to Mary's song last week, I just want to take a bird's eye view in the closing few minutes and notice a couple of the overarching themes. And the rest you can take home with you and read it in more detail. My proposition to you this morning is this, that you and I could sing this Benedictus too. That it might be Zachariah's song in the original, but it is every bit a song of praise that you and I are invited to sing, especially during Advent. So let's look at it together, starting with the preface in verse 67. It says, His father, John's father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. And so we note again this week that the Holy Spirit once again makes an appearance. Every single week. In Luke chapter 1, as we have met, the Holy Spirit keeps coming up. And I pray that this would be true here, that the Holy Spirit would keep coming up in the life of the Y Church and in your life as a follower of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is like the lights on the Christmas tree, like the flame flickering on the Advent wreath, or perhaps like the engine in the snowmobile that powers it across the snow. In this case, the Holy Spirit moves Zechariah to prophesy. And so this is a song, yes, but it is also an expression of prophecy, which is both an Old and a New Testament concept. For the church, later in the New Testament, prophecy will become a spiritual gift. And as I promised you a couple months ago, we're going to study spiritual gifts in the new year. So we'll get back to this and share more on the gift of prophecy in that series. But I want us to note the theme that is set at the beginning of this song. As Zechariah, moved by the Holy Spirit, launches into this beautiful song, he starts by saying, and in the Latin, the first word is benedictus, that's where they get the name. He starts by saying, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. Notice that Zechariah does not say, praise be to the Lord, because we finally have a baby. That's what you'd think it would be. But no, surprisingly, there's actually very little mention of John in this song. Basically, he's mentioned in one verse, verse 76. Is Zechariah excited about the birth of his son? Absolutely. But you've got to see Zechariah is here looking further out on the horizon. So he says, praise be to the Lord. Why? 
because he's come to his people and redeemed them. Zechariah is not singing about John. He's singing about Jesus. And notice, he is so sure about what God is doing that he puts it in the past tense as if it has already happened. Look at it. It says, he has come to his people and redeemed them. Past tense. That's called the prophetic perfect tense. Jesus hasn't been born yet. Bethlehem and Christmas Eve are still six months away. But Zechariah says, oh, he's come all right. He's come and redeemed us. And that's the theme of this whole song that I'm sending home with you. And isn't that instructive? That this would be the theme. Because we could very easily stop at praising God for the stuff that we have. The stuff that we have been given. Especially at Christmas. We could easily stop at thanking God for the presents or the vacation or for the food. Or even things like good health and family. We could stop there and then just say, God, thank you for all this stuff you've given me. The John's in my life. Thank you, Lord, for all these blessings. And it's good to be thankful for these things. But there is a much bigger reason to sing that Zechariah has been pondering for nine quiet months. It is the song of our Redeemer. The birth of our Savior. Look at verse 69 to see this. A key verse, somewhat obscure, but a key verse to understanding the whole. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Now what is a horn of salvation? That's the obscurity, isn't it? It sounds biblical. sounds nice, but what is it? You maybe have run into that term, that phrase in the Bible before. It might sound familiar, but, but I bet you and I don't automatically know what that is. I mean, is this a horn as like a, a musical instrument? Or is it a horn like a, a cornucopia that's full of fruits and vegetables? Or is this like a, a bike horn? That one's probably doubtful. The bike was just invented 200 years ago. What is the horn of salvation? Have you ever stood next to a big, imposing animal where you didn't have a fence in between the two of you? I mean, most of us are not from a farming background, so this is maybe less likely. But maybe you've been to a rodeo, been down on ground level before with one of these animals. I mean, if you're in the vicinity of a bull, I mean, I'm nervous with just a fence in between the two of us. A mature bull can stand at six feet tall and easily weigh 2,000 pounds. That's like your standard mature bull. The bigger breeds across the world, they can measure 3,500 pounds. Something that big and that ornery with horns attached to it is not something you want to mess with. It is a force to be reckoned with. And that is what the biblical term horn of salvation means. Now, we don't know the exact animal that is specified here. It could have easily been a bull. They had those. It could have been a wild ox. Can you imagine coming around the bend? And there's a a big, nasty wild ox with horns. A horn of salvation is a picture of God's strength. It's a picture of his 
unbridled might and power. And I want you to listen to it in Psalm 18. This takes me back. These are verses Esther and I memorized with our twin girls in the hospital. Psalm 18, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. And did you pick up on the combo that's in there? That God, the psalmist says, is my shield. That means my defense and the horn of my salvation. He's my offense. That's the imagery. That's what Zechariah has in mind as he sings this song. I find here in our closing minutes that you and I get really good, especially at Christmas time, of picturing Jesus as meek and mild there. No crying he make. I don't believe that from that beautiful song. But there he is laying in the manger. He's going to grow up. and He'll be meek and mild and he'll bounce children on his knee. And he'll stroll about through the countryside with his disciples. And what we sometimes fail to remember is that Jesus also came to clean house. That he came with thunder in his footsteps and lightning in his fist. My oldest daughters have started to take an interest in Marvel movies. Something I was completely unfamiliar with till now. And and so we've started to occasionally get to watch one together after all the other kids are in bed. And this week, we, um, you know, they put these out, like there's phases you can watch Marvel in. Okay, some of you know that. It's new to me. So this week, we were on Thor, the movie Thor. Now, you might recognize that name, even if you don't know Marvel. Thor, in Norse mythology, is the god of thunder. And here... We're eating popcorn and watching Thor take out frost giants and face off with the villain Loki. And I'm reminded, Marvel has nothing on Jesus. You know that? The God of Thunder is not some comic creation or Norse mythology named Thor. It is Jesus Christ, the conquering king. And if you're honest with yourself, you know that you need this king, this horn of salvation. If you're honest with yourself and you take a look under the hood of your life, then you know that you are engaged in a spiritual battle. That the destiny of your life is not neutral. And frankly, in this fight, you and I don't have a chance Zechariah didn't have a chance. He's a priest serving in the temple of God. He doesn't have a chance. There are things happening in and around your life you might be thinking of right now that are so much bigger than what you are able to tackle on your own. There are some battles right now among us that you're facing where you so desperately need this horn of salvation. That Jesus would ride into your life strong and sure and he would clean house and put the fear of God into your adversary. And then in the end, here's where we finish today. I love that these are paired together in the song, the horn of salvation. And then in the end comes tender mercy. 
Jesus brings it all to you. He fights your battles and then he bandages your wounds. We're out of time to expound on it, but I find these closing lines of the Benedictus, they, they can just simply speak for themselves. And, and I want to read these words to you. And I pray that they would capture your heart. That even now in these moments that they would instill such peace upon you. You would hear these words. Zechariah sings, For you, John, will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. To give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Of your sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. I'm wishing for you a simple Christmas. That it would be this song. Let's pray. Lord, sometimes you do strike our voice. Sometimes you do, Lord, call us away from the noise just to be quiet, to listen. And Lord, I pray that there would be enough quiet this week that we would hear what Christmas is really about. That you are mighty to save that you are not silent, Lord, but that you come charging into our life, to our defense, to our rescue. And that then, Lord, in your tender mercy, you stoop down to pick us up and to hold us in your arms. Lord, I pray we'd hurry to you this week. I pray that we would sing your song. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org.